0: Stay Ready is the mentality birthed through the trials and triumphs in life as an NFL long snapper. Join me in conversations with teammates, mentors, friends, and family who helped me realize Stay Ready is so much more. A deeply rooted principle of life in all things faith, family, and football. From Music Row in Nashville, welcome to Stay Ready, the podcast. Welcome back to another Stay Ready episode, and I got L.V. Shane On the pod today, Um, I appreciate you, man, for coming over to the crib. It can be a um, little—I don't know—not intimidating, but a little awkward at times to invite a stranger over to my house for a podcast. There's a Uh, hillbilly like me, buddy. Yeah, I saw you. (laughs) I saw you pull up my owl, man. This—this guy's good. We're good. But like, there's there's been times where you know we used to record at a studio, and it's an old like Victorian-style house off Music Row, and it's like it's a—it's a frat house. Mm And it doesn't. It looks a little sketch from the from the street. Yeah. And the studio's down in the basement, and uh, it's like you're going to a whorehouse. And I'm like I'm like, I send pictures to every guest that came in. Like, listen, this is the stairway down to the basement. The red door's there. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's no, got a red door too. Yeah.
0: No one's gonna kill you. <laughs> like, trust me, we're good. So like, I, sometimes I get a little, uh, just a little awkward, you know, asking a, a complete stranger to uh, come on over. But we're at the crib now. Appreciate you. We got a good view today downtown. Yeah, it's Asheville. awesome.
1: This is not sketch at all. No, man.
0: no, no. It's a little, little a better than the, uh, than the than uh, the haunted house down off of uh, Music Row. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time out. I know you uh, you're leaving town here shortly for mm-hmm. California. Yeah. But to take the time out to come sit, converse, share story, testimony, your journey. That's what it's all about. So. Thank you, man. Yeah, man.
1: Thank you for having me. I yeah. appreciate it. We've yeah. already had a little bit of good conversation. We you have. Yeah, man.
0: Stuff. Without getting too deep, without, uh, like I said to, to you earlier, I, I really enjoy organically having a conversation with somebody, get to know them, yeah. and uh, without sharing too much before we start recording. Um, but let's go back a little ways, just to kind of uh, give some context to our listeners. We've had a lot of artists on the show, a lot of up and coming guys. Uh, you know, we've had several guys who are, um, more solidified in their career, been doing it for quite some time. Where do you stand right now? And, uh, you know, how long have you really been just chasing the, the, the musical career? Um, and where did it all start for you?
1: Uh, I was sorry when I was a kid, my you know, mom says I was born on a Sunday and the following Sunday, she had me held tightly beside a hymnal and one of missionary <laughs> Baptist church. So. I was hearing music, you know, immediately after being born, and started singing in church. My brother and sister were in a bad accident. My my brother used to sing this this song called "Victory Is Sweet," <clears throat> and so after his accident, he couldn't really sing for a while like he used to be able to. So I kind of took over singing that song. And first time singing publicly, did chorus choir in school in my younger school years. Quit that in high school because. You know, I liked girls and I was, I was afraid that they, they didn't want a choir boy. But uh, uh, then after that, man, college, playing uh, playing bars and, and stuff with, with my friend two of my friends, uh, Chad and Seth, we had a group called 88. We were all born in 88 and rehearsed in this place, on this road, uh, 88 in my hometown, in this garage. And then I quit for like three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I met my wife, I didn't, I didn't touch a guitar or anything. And then one night at a party, I grabbed a guitar and sang a Stapleton's or a Johnson Brothers song. And everybody was like, you sing? And I was like, yeah, I sing. So I started coming down to Nashville with those guys in uh, 2016, just to, to write, or 2015, to write. And you know, from there, it's just, every couple years, we've been blessed and, and had something good happen, a publishing deal, a record deal, uh, My Boy, ended up going number 1 a couple years after the the record deal and now
0: so you you were a, a co-writer on my boy
1: yeah so it was m- myself uh, Russell Sutton Lee Star and Nick Columbia and there was another guy named Drew Green a couple other guys that was kind of this, that was our our group yeah. you know uh, when we first got started and i still see those guys from time to time we're all still close uh, we don't write as much as yeah. we used to cuz everybody's kind of life has taken us in different directions but it, it just started, a, a friend of mine's mom uh, posted a thing on Facebook, tagged me in it and said, it said, there's a picture of a little boy and it said, I don't have a stepson, I have a son that was born before I met him. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about that and we wasn't even supposed to write a song, I don't think, we were just hanging out. And idea came around and somebody spit out the first couple words and, you know, next four hours we just spent out there trying to string it together and. Uh, uh, this is one of those, we call them God songs, Yeah, you know, was, there was a fifth writer that night for sure, and I remember Russell coming up to me the next morning in his flame flannel pajama pants and saying, Elvie, uh, I don't think we know what we did last night, and literally I know how right he was, man, it changed all of our lives so much and, and who who cut that song was it Lee Bryce or? no it was me I cut it oh, yeah. you cut it yeah yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I recorded it uh, the 7th time I recorded it because okay. I I just couldn't get it right
0: yeah
1: we finally we got it we got it right and went to radio in 2 th- in, in 2020 okay at, at the towards the end of the the initial um abrupt stop to the world you know yeah
0: what song am I thinking of uh Boy in, in uh the-
1: yeah is it Lord, lee Rice or is it yeah okay
0: okay um so a completely different song which but... was a great
1: song but i oh, mean yeah. i didn't know but i
0: thought but i thought the premise of that song was very similar to what it, you're talking very about. very similar yeah, yeah i yeah. don't
1: think it was from it was it wasn't from a a step or adoptive father's okay, point not from of that view perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, okay um but man, not long before that i i wrote a song called um uh drinking class uh-huh and then lee Rice came out with drinking class and I was like (laughs) so I seen him one time I can't remember exactly what I said to him I was like I got a bone to pick with you first Mm -hmm. thing I ever said to him yeah I was like I wrote this hit called drinking class and what do you know two weeks later you come out with drinking class yeah Yo, you owe me some money you know I was just messing around he just reached out his big bear paw and shook my hand I was like yeah I don't want to fight this guy um (laughs) but no Lee's great and then and then boy came out right yeah. before we came out with okay, my boy okay. so I was like, gosh, dang. Okay, it, dude. that's
0: where I. That's yeah. when you said that. I was like, oh man, that's a that's a hit. So, but but your song that you cut is called Oh Boy. My boy. My boy. My boy. Yeah. So
1: uh, yeah, we wrote my boy in two thousand sixteen, and in twenty twenty, uh, we we did like a six week long in studio, five shows a day, five days a week. Uh, pre- presentation to all the radio stations. Okay. In uh, the the reporting stations, like 164 of them in in North America, and uh, or in the United States, Lord. Um, and then it took about a it took a little over a year, and then that song ended up going number one, which kind of I thought started my my career. Yeah. But it really it was like the the greatest point in my life for four days. We we went number one. We put my first record out. I got everything I'd ever wanted out of out of my music, and then things just took a terrible turn, and um, I got really down and trying to figure. So since then, you know we've we've had a we've had a flop at radio, um, and then since then I've, you know, definitely developed a little bit of a bad attitude around mm-hmm. around that. Yeah. part. there's a lot of great people in radio, and I and a lot of champions I had, but. Too often, it's it's uh, it's very corporate. So oh, yeah. a lot of these champions you have, they can't even really go to bat for you sometimes because of what the people upstairs are, are yeah. telling them to do. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that I was I've just been having to deal with over the last couple of years, which led me. This next record I'm working on right now, we call Damascus, and um, it started from a conversation I was having with uh, co-writer Ryan Tyndall about Paul on the road to Damascus. Yeah. I felt like I was definitely on that, just yeah. trying to figure out where to go next, you know. So, this year, I've been solely focused on, uh, I had to clean my act up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell back into some old ways last year. Yeah. And um, cleaning my act up, spending more time with my wife and my kids, and also focusing on the record, writing, sure. and recording.
0: Yeah. So, prior to 2016, you know, you're not you're a Kentucky boy, so you're not too far from here. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about three hours Three hours northeast now. I grew up about two hours north of here. Yeah, so when music, I mean, where did the really dream start as far as like, hey, I need to get to Nashville, start writing. So you got the publishing deal before you started recording your own music?
1: Yeah, so I was here for about two years just writing songs. My boy, I went and played a show in Colorado, um, and one of the guys that was a sponsor for the show or you know, paid the paid the bill for us to be there, we went to his house afterward with the promoter of the show, and I, we played some acoustic stuff down there. Me and Russell Sutton were, were in a duo at the time called Grassroots Revival. And the guy was like, hey man, I don't know what to do, but I wanna be involved somehow, how mm-hmm. can I help? And um, so he started a publishing company with, uh, with a guy named RJ Romeo here in town. And uh, uh, Lisa Johnson, who was like, had been my right hand man or right hand woman there in the publishing world up to that point, <clears throat> she came on board on that company and book rights and everything and uh yeah they they developed a company based around uh russell and myself and you know i'm still working with with that company today but also now joined in with a company called warner chapel okay so just two years after i got here got that and then two years after that came the the record deal two years after that came
0: my so boy the, the, so the record deal came before my boy yes yeah and so as a as a co-writer on my boy and then you actually cut that song onto your record it goes number one how does that work uh, monetarily because i know in the potion world for context for people who don't i'm still learning this whole world that you guys live in whether it's as a writer singer songwriter artist um i mean the the the, the pie is cut in several different ways several yeah
1: and the more the more you put your name on a piece of paper the more it gets cut okay um so you know, a lot of people think that you sell songs. Yeah. Which is a question you always get from from people back home. Have you sold any songs? Well, you don't sell songs. You just you write the songs, and then publishers kind of if you're not going to cut them as an artist yourself, publishers will send them around to their okay. friends. You got all these people in the publishing industry that just they work their hind ends off trying to get sales people. They're you. throwing yep. they're throwing the music yes. out there to everybody see who if, wants it. if they believe in you, man. They're 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 grinding. You yeah. know. And, uh, you know, hopefully you get an outside cut. And I haven't had any uh, outside cuts that have, you know, made it to radio or anything like that. But uh, monetarily, I mean, in the 90s, it would have been great. We'd have made all kinds of money. People were buying records and stuff, you know. But, you know, you, you, you spend about a year promoting a record if you're lucky enough for it to go number one. A number one record, you know, if it stays on the charts long enough, I mean, if people are just curious for numbers... A number one record would make a million dollars, right? So yeah. it's an easy number to go off of. Yeah. Sometimes less, sometimes more. Uh, half of that usually you you give up your publishing. Yeah. Uh, so half of that money goes to your publishers to yeah. cover the draw that you've been making a month. Yeah. And then the other half of that will go to the writer's share. Yeah. And uh, and then it's split amongst the writers. Sure. And then so you you know you get that initial money over the first year after your. Uh, your song goes number one yep. or charts or whatever, yeah. and then you get a little bit of mail mo- mailbox money every few months, sure. you know. But nothing, you know, super substantial at this yeah. point. The money used to be a lot better, um, but it it was definitely enough to uh, to change the course of mine and my family's life and theirs, and sure. and let us focus solely on playing music, writing songs, yeah, and uh, and trying to build ourselves now, yeah. I was I was wood rich, buddy. You know, I I come from I come from nothing. So when that so when that first little bit of money comes in, it's like I gotta get the Mustang. I remember uh, before yeah. my check even came in, yeah. man, I bought this Mustang. It was my dream car, 2017 Mustang GT. And the day I pulled it off a lot, I had negative twenty seven dollars in my account. Yeah. And but I never missed a payment. Yeah. You know? Um. So from there, man, I mean, it's just you know, it's a learning process and and like. Trying to manage your money because it doesn't—it doesn't stay, and yeah. it's not guaranteed to come
0: back around. Yeah, you know, well, so. that's how it is in, in professional sports. I mean, <clears throat> you know, people think I played in the league for ten years. I'm this multi-millionaire who's made it big, and like, granted, I've been rewarded and paid very, very handsomely for <laughs> what I do for a sport that I love. It's a kids' game that I do for a living, but <laughs> the one—the one—the one percent of the guys you see on TV are the ones who are like really set for life, you know? And so like, I'm a grinder. I'm, I'm am i I'm a bottom of the barrel guy. I'm a bottom feeder, man. I'm just like, yeah, I get, I get paid really, really well. uh, You know, in, in what we do again, it's just entertainment. It's a kid's game. We're playing, I'm a grown man playing the, you know, an eight year old's dream. And so it's, uh, but in that, in that, when we, the world we live in, it's it's so easy to get caught up with. We're, we get paid per week, so it's not nothing guaranteed unless oh, you have really? like a signing bonus or a guaranteed contract or something like that. So it's like I hear a ton of stories of like rookies that they get drafted, you know. And if you're the first round guy, you're getting you know you're getting taken care of. But as long, you go down to the sixth round, you know that's your, your signing bonus may be like twenty grand. Yeah. But to a to a twenty one, twenty two year old kid, you know hasn't made much money in their life or doesn't come from much, like, that's a big deal. Are you having to pay for, like, uh, when
1: you guys are traveling, are you guys paying for your hotel rooms and, and stuff like that when you're out on the road? Uh, well, I'll
0: say this. Nothing's free in this yeah, world, right? Yeah. So someone's paying for it. Yeah. And we have union dues. We have player dues. And, yeah, we're not paying for travel expenses per se. Um, you know, the team covers that stuff. Um, we get a little per diem on the road if we're traveling. Okay. Um, I mean, it may be like a hundred bucks still oh, okay. you for, you know, grabbing dinner or something like that. Not every team's the same. Everyone kind of operates different. Um, but you know, in the world of the NFL, you you get a check if you play in that game. Yeah. So if you're inactive, I mean, you'll get paid, but, um, it won't be your contractual you're, you're paid out through a 17 week pay scale, oh, so okay. 17 games. You get paid per game. Um, it's very similar to uh, Major League Baseball. I've made some friends at. Well, sure, that, that yeah. Played, I mean, it's, it's yeah. like you got to play your gig
1: yeah. to get paid. You know what I'm saying? Like I was you, very surprised to learn how yeah. how little the pay can be for yeah. for Major League. And not players. not to
0: mention, you get taxed, you know, forty three percent right at the top, and then you get taxed in every state that you play. Mm. So we have all you know the W forms at the end of the year, and you know every state you go to, like playing in California, you're in the highest tax bracket. New York highest ta- tax wow. bracket, but if you play in Tennessee. Texas Florida you know Nevada you don't have the state income tax mm-hmm. so guys go to those teams or try to go to those teams if they're a free agent because you're 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 making 10% more of what you would elsewhere so that it's methodical in, in yeah. some ways like that but what I'm trying to say is like when you, your, your story about buying the Mustang before the the check actually came in it's funny man when you these young guys and I was that young guy once you make a team you know how much your contract is worth. So you just assume, like, that money's coming. You know, mm-hmm. I'm good. That money's going to come. Well, you go into a bank for a loan, or you go to a car to to lease a car or buy a car, and first thing to do, credit check. All right, then they check everything else. Um, and there's guys that have, have literally brought in their NFL contract. Again, these are young dudes who have nothing to their name. Yeah. They're coming straight out of college. They've never had a credit card. They have credit, yeah. They've never had, you know, they've never had to pay rent or they, you know, whatever the case may be. And so they'll take their NFL contract. Listen, I just signed a three-year deal. Like, this is what it's worth. Like, I have no money in the bank yet, but, you know... It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. so, like, it's funny that uh, there have been instances where guys will go and show, you know, um, a bank for a a house loan. Hey, this is my contract. Will you approve me? And it's it's what, you know, nowadays, I don't think you can get... The banks aren't loaning money to nobody, but, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, people would approve loans based off of a future earning that's not guaranteed. Yeah. So it's risky.
1: So how does you know? that work? I'm I'm curious because like I was talking to somebody the other day about Derrick Henry, like he signed a huge deal over oh, here, sure, right? yeah, yeah. But like does is that a guarantee, is that amount that you signed for is that guarantee you're at least going to
0: get that or can that can part of that go away too? Well, let's just let's just say Derrick Henry signed a 5-year, $50 million contract. Mm-hmm. So that's an average of 10 million a year. Yeah. He may have so that's 10 million a year. He may have had a signing bonus for like maybe it's twenty million. So at signing, he's guaranteed twenty million. Okay. And then the rest is paid out um, incrementally throughout the season or throughout the years he plays. So typically, it's like year one will be ten million, year two will be twelve million, year three. You hear about these players who kind of get they get too expensive. Mm-hmm. So the hope is to play out that contract to sign a new one, but now you're a running back that's making. You know, towards the end of that new contract, you're making that fifteen to twenty million dollars a year. A team can now justify, like, listen, like, the running back market might not be what we're paying you right now, so we're gonna cut you or trade you or release you, and we're gonna go get that young buck who mm. we're only paying seven hundred fifty thousand a year too. Mm. You know, now Derek. Yeah, Henry, that's what we were
1: talking about. So the now Derek
0: day. Henry's is an anomaly because he's one of the best in the league, but like th- those situations happen quite often where a guy will. It's not that they're not performing well enough to justify their contract, but from a GM standpoint, they're like, listen, like, from a business standpoint, why would we pay this dude ten million a year yeah. when we can get the same, you know, production, yeah, or performance, yeah, yeah, performance from a young undrafted guy, you know? So yeah, you played, the you know, it's all political, man. It's all, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a business at the end of the day and it's it's easy to get wrapped up into it, and it's a weird thing to mix like passion and dreams with economic decisions yeah, sure, yeah. like you have
1: the passion and the dreams yeah. right and and we can definitely relate in that in that aspect, but then like your future is kind of based on the people that you sign deals with and the economic decisions that they have to make and also and and with you guys. Even more so, it seems like it could be the team's performance that could affect your – like because you might be the best player in the league, but it'd be on a team that isn't performing well. And they've got to make a decision. They may get, just clean yeah. shop
0: and say, hey, we're going to start over. We're going to get a new GM. We're going to get a new head coach. And typically what happens when they clean house, a new GM, new coach comes in. You don't fit what they want. They don't. You don't fit the scheme. So they get rid of you, even though you're a great player. But they're going to go get the guys that they want because yeah. now it's their team. They want to assemble who they are. They don't want the – the recent roster from the old regime—they yeah, want the like new. I feel like a little bit of that's going on over here well, right like now. Kevin Byard just got traded. He's like one of the greatest safeties in the league and has been a pillar on the team for eight years. But in their mind, say, like, hey, if we're going to clean house, we're doing it now. Unfortunately, we got to get rid of the dogs. We got to get rid of the guys who have been our captains, our leaders. Those guys, and and Ke- and in their mind, it's like, hey, you know, Byard's got a lot of tread left on on the tires. We can get some good trade value on this dude, so that's what they're gonna do. Like, yeah. it's not personal; yeah. it's all business. Yeah, it's just you know, business it sucks, team, yeah. but now he's going to do a good team.
1: You yeah. know what I'm
0: saying? Yeah, and I
1: feel like it, the, the the powers that be probably kind of look out for those guys too, where they trade them and stuff. If they have good relationships, with not them. all the time, but no, yeah, yeah, you would
0: you would hope that they would like to put you in a situation where you can succeed and thrive. And but at the end of the day, it's like, what are they getting in return? Yeah, you know, they want to be compensated well on the trade as well. It's cutthroat, man. Just like the music business. Yeah, it can be, man. Yeah, for sure. Ah. So, so uh, to to go back a little bit further with you, not to not to cut you off. No, you're good. You're good. Um, so it sounds like you kind of had like a, a church background upbringing, and that's kind of where the music mm-hmm. started for you, whether it was singing choir, instruments, whatever the case may be. I mean, was there anybody like instrumental? No pun intended on that, but instrumental in your upbringing that really just kind of uh, influenced you in a way that, like, music was, like, cool. It was a passion. It was a drive, a dream. Um, Was there anybody, like, you know, with a family member, a friend, or someone at the church that saw something in you, that pushed you? or? Yeah, I think uh, Robert Greene's the author, I believe his
1: name, wrote a book called Mastery, and I was reading it one time, and and, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. He said that you, you don't have to know your mentors personally. Yeah. So I would say, I mean... I would I would watch my aunts play piano. You okay. know, I always wanted to learn how to play piano, but they didn't want to teach me because I was I was too wild, you know, yeah. didn't keep me in line. But um Steve Earle riding around in the semi with my dad as a kid, the guitar town record was very instrumental and, and influencing as a kid. Uh John Fogarty's solo career, uh Blue Moon Swamp, Tom Petty, The Temptations, Otis Redding, Leonard Skinnard.
0: Um, so kind of a, I mean, wide range of like different influences, not just specifically country or rock. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of very diverse.
1: Yeah. I mean, I also love to listen to the Kingsman Quartet, Journeyman and Jan was kind of a regional, uh, gospel quartet. Uh I love that. So there was a singer, a guy named Ron Spurgeon, uh, that he was my hero as a singer when I was a kid. He was a tenor singer in, in the gospel quartet. Um, but yeah, my gran my great grandma, she taught me how to play the first three chords on guitar. What were they? Uh, E, A, and B. Okay. Not, not G. No, not <laughs> G. She, uh, she taught me E, A, and B, and handed me a Roger Miller CD and said, "You can learn how to sing any Roger Miller song That's with cool. these three chords." Yeah. Yeah. She was my homie, man. She, uh, she passed away in a car accident when she was eighty-two years old. Oh, I'm sorry. Man. I think she was trying to pass somebody in a. She was wild, man. She was she, on her way yeah, home from getting some quilting material, and trying to pass somebody in the curve, and. Oh no. Yeah, but. Uh, uh yeah she's it was a gangster way to go, granny, you know, yeah. but uh, but no, she taught me that, and um, I started playing guitar when I was like twelve, and just uh started stringing words together, probably at a younger age than that, maybe eight or nine, yeah, and uh and in high school got in a band, started writing we were it kind of like a christian rock band um my my buddy Jeremy, his dad was a preacher, and we would go practice at his uncle's garage and but those, those guys I was mentioning before, they were definitely my, my biggest influences. And then of course, like the 90s, early 2000s, Food Fighters, uh, Goo Goo Dolls, Eminem, uh, T.I. I, really, I was really big into those two hip hop artists in particular. Um, and then later on started getting into like a little bit of Tupac and, and Biggie and stuff. So I've always had a love for, for hip hop as well, just because it gave me a, uh, a window to, uh, to a way of life that I, that I s- always seen a lot of similarities in with like coming from lower middle class. Yeah. Um, definitely their struggles were in uh, those communities seemed a lot more harsh based on the songs. But I related to that, the angst in that music. And, uh, and then you know, pop punk was really popular too. Yeah. So uh, this whole record we're working on right now is an exercise. Damascus is also a uh, type of steel where you take a bunch of different types of metal and you heat it up and forge it together. and it, it, You have probably seen it. It's got lines in it. It's okay. really beautiful, really Good. strong metal. And so I wanted to try to make this project an exercise in, in grabbing from multiple influences. Uh, I really got into Mac Miller a lot in the process of making this record. Really? Love his records. Love the production uh, and the mixes and, and just the lyricism and all that. So definitely listen to a lot of that. My first record... I like to do this thing. I learned this thing from uh, from Hunter S. Thompson. Do you know who Hunter was? No. So uh, have you ever seen Fear and Loving Las Vegas with Johnny Depp? Yes. So it's based on Hunter S. Thompson, who was a writer uh, for Rolling Stone uh, that was born in Louisville, Kentucky, I believe. But when he was a kid... He would sit at his Smith Corona typewriter and just type out "The Great Gatsby" by F. Scott Fitzgerald okay. because he wanted to like get in his head and, and learn his prose and, and how he the language that he used, and which made Hunter S. Thompson a a, a phenomenal writer himself, I, I believe. So I took a little bit of a chapter from that book, and my first record, I wrote the lyrics like ten times to every song. To uh, Bruce Springsteen's "Darkness on the Edge of Town." Uh, Eric Church's Sinners Like Me and uh, Steve Earle's Guitar Town record. So those three records were probably my my favorite records at the time. And I wanted the same thing, like just get in their head. But this time it's been much more like going back and listening to Eminem, Foo Fighters. Still going back and listening to some of that stuff to keep a, a little bit of that, um, the roots and the foundation yeah, of the sound. Yeah but the Mac Miller stuff pulling that stuff in and experimenting with with stuff sonically the first record was very much a tribute to all of my early influences yeah. whereas i was i was a little more angry with this record so i reached into some of that stuff that i remember listening to when i was a uh, when i was an angsty yeah black haired teenager you know yeah. and uh it's it's been fun man it's it's i'm excited to get it over with because i feel like there's a lot of stuff in this this record that I need to just get out of my system and out mm. of my head. And uh, we'll be done November 4th. And there's some... Uh, it's right on the corner. Yeah, man. And there's some drastic changes. Like, personally, lifestyle changes and stuff that that I've i have I've made a deal with myself that, you know, they're still a part of my life until I'm done with this record. Yeah. You know? So I'm looking forward to, to that flip and the switch, you know?
0: So this record's been, in a, in a way... Very therapeutic for you, huh? Yeah, hundred percent. There was there was a struggle for sure with early on with the
1: music, like turning it into uh, my record label. And I've got a great team, man. People like to to really just dog on on the music industry and, and record labels and stuff these days, and and call you a sellout if you have a record deal and whatever. But whatever, um, I got a record deal. I Always dreamed of having a record deal, and I got a great team. and They believe in me. But early on with this music, when I was first taking it in there and playing it for for the powers that be, it was like, you know we're not going to do this, it's not going to work. yeah um but it was it was very important to me, and so there was a there was a long uh I felt like I was fighting because I'm always in fight or flight and yeah. anxious mess all the time. So to me, it was like this long fight, uh but eventually they came around and and the faith that they've they've shown in me has is, has is, is been tremendous um. It got to a point where I, you know, I had to have a, a respectful phone call with someone at the label, and and just, hey, buddy, I had to, I had to have a phone call and just be like, uh, look, I, I'm I'm not being rude. I don't want to do this, but if I can't do what I believe in, then I'll just stay in Kentucky and I'll go cut trees for my father-in-law again, or I'll go drive a truck with my brother and my dad. Uh, I feel like I get to do this. Um, I don't I don't have to do this if it's not what I, I want it to be. yeah. And I'm not, you know, I would love to be able to sell out Bridgestone Arena, but I also would love for songs like Pill that just came out to be heard by one person and it positively Changed affect life. their life. Yeah. yeah. I know, I, know um, I have this like healthy, uh, Eric Church don't know me, but I have this healthy little uh, boxing match going on with him in my brain all the time. I, I listen to his songs and I, I love I love other artists that that piss me off when I hear their music. You know, it's like dang, that was good. Yeah. Like I, that's the bar. Now we're gonna go and here the last couple of years that bar, uh, you know, in the country music world has been set for me by by Eric and by Hardy and and uh, and but I'm always like trying to reach out and I went to South by Southwest and and seen this hardcore band uh, called Military Gun. These young yeah. guys and I just really associated with them from my younger years and. They were even an influence on a song I've got called "Appalachian Alchemy." It's got a little bit of a hardcore vibe to it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I, I just, if I, all I can do is, is possibly affect one person uh, and get them to maybe, like, for instance, with Pill, if, if this one person is living this life and they're, they're often in, in the drugs and, and living a very dangerous life. Maybe they can hear this song and it can turn them around like homeboy turned me around when my dad sent it to me when I was at my worst. And so if it's if it's one person or ten thousand, yeah, I win. Yeah. You know? You do. So, and yeah. you're
0: doing what you love.
1: Yeah, I'm doing what I love to do. I uh I took a, a change or I made a change in course about a year and a half ago where, you know, after the hit, it's easy to try to chase the money, yeah, you know? Yeah. Go play this show because it pays great, and, and go across the country and play this show because it pays great. Um, But I feel like if you do this, I, I I know now that you can do this and you hit the ceiling and bounce right back down. Yeah. So now my focus has been on going out and playing smaller clubs, mixed with some festivals to make a little money here and there to support the smaller club shows and everything, yeah. where I can see a trajectory more like this than sure. this.
0: And it's a marathon, on a race. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I, I've been a lot more happy doing things that way. And it gives me an opportunity as well to stay after my shows and meet people. Yeah. You know, uh, shake babies, kiss hands. They yeah, say or shake yeah. hands, kiss babies. Yeah. Uh, no shaking babies. Um, <laughs> but uh, it gives me that opportunity. And it's also like a, there was a heavy realization after having a number one. You think you can just go sell out 1,000-plus cap rooms. Yeah you get there and you book this whole tour and there's it's a third of the way full or a quarter of the way full and that can be really disheartening but i, I took that feeling and I was like okay if this is all I can get in the room then why don't we start here let's do 250 cap rooms yeah and since we've been doing that now I'm seeing those numbers double triple some places yeah and people are singing more and more of the songs yeah. you know and so it's it's been good I've I've enjoyed the the change in direction and with the music and the and the booking style and, and everything so yeah. far.
0: I mean, it's kind of like with football. It's like you you come in as a rookie, you go to the Kansas City Chiefs, you win a Super Bowl right off the bat, and you're like, oh, man, this is easy. <laughs> they, That's how
1: it felt. This That's is easy. Like, feeling, yes. This is
0: how – I mean, I remember I played with uh, Pat McAfee and uh, his rookie year, they went to the Super Bowl and lost. But I remember him telling the story like, man, this is it? Like, we got Peyton Manning as quarterback. We're going to – we went to the Super Bowl my rookie year. Oh, this is easy. But then after that, Peyton gets hurt. They go 1-15 the next season, and he never went back to the Super Bowl. So I can relate to that. I mean, I've never been to the Super Bowl. I've been very, very close a couple of times. Um, But it just makes you realize, like, I remember just feeling like, yeah, I was discouraged in the moment of not getting there. We could never get past Tom Brady. You know, we lost – I lost to him twice in uh, the AFC Championship, and um, it was like, man, you're so close, but yet so far. But it almost lit like a fire inside you, even more like, you know how hard you work to get to that number one, yeah. or you work how hard you get to the playoffs, or whatever the case may be, and you just want it more that desire and that drives there. Hopefully use it that way. Um, but talk a little bit more about that early success, because I think there's a lot of artists that can relate to that early success. You mentioned like, oh, this is what it feels like. This is what I'm going to be chasing. You, you mentioned the word chase. And it seems like there's a common theme when you are chasing whatever that is, that unicorn, that it just o- always leads to some sort of emptiness, failure, or discouragement, yeah. let down. Can you touch on just a little bit more about, um, I know you kind of talked about how you kind of internalized it, how you how you've pivoted a little bit with what you're, perspective and your, your shift is now with going smaller and all that kind of stuff but was there a time where you know you felt as if you were on the top of the world you mentioned hitting the ceiling dropping back down but was there a massive phase of like discouragement and letdown as far as like man like I felt what it, I, I got a taste of a number one but now I just feel like I don't even want to do this anymore
1: yeah man unfortunately it can it can feel pretty dull yeah. Uh, I remember when I found out my song went number one. I was sitting in a van. It was me and and Lainey Wilson, and my drummer uh, Will Johnson, and and her guitar player Aslan, and my, my two um, uh, radio or our two radio reps who are sisters our uh, West Coast reps, and they were like, "We got it," and I was like, "Hell yeah, we got it." Yeah. And then, but it's it's that, and you're like, "Okay, on to the next. We got we got more work to do." Yeah. Um, I just the realization that achieving your biggest dreams doesn't fix your problems yeah can can just be it can be very detrimental if you're not prepared for it and i don't think anyone's ever prepared for it yeah. you know you uh you get something but it's not really anything tangible most yeah. times like yeah. it's you think that there's a feeling and there's it's all crystal glass and ballrooms and big parties and private jets but it, it's it's just it doesn't change like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's very, okay, this happened. Nothing's really different now. Uh, I think you can definitely experience some euphoria from, from things like that for a few days. But like I said, it's four days, you know. We put my record out. I went number one. Four days later, I, I was in the lowest spot I'd been in six years, mm-hmm. you know. It went from being as healthy as I'd ever been, you know, coming from being somebody who smoked two packs of cigarettes a day and had experimented with drugs for years of my life to being this guy that's running 30 to 40 miles a week and working out every day and eating good and everything to going right back down that that same slippery slope from my early 20s for a while yeah and then uh you know luckily you know being able to pull back out of that um I would just if I could give anybody advice that's close to reaching those goals is just like be prepared to understand you need to be proud of yourself and of the people who help you get there Mm -hmm. uh but you you have to understand that any internal things that are going on with with your heart or your head those things don't get fixed by achieving goals maybe just mask it for a while they'll, they'll cover it up for a little while yeah but i mean really only only you and you and god and can can fix those issues, mm-hmm. you know. So you you have to just understand that worldly things don't don't fix spiritual issues. Yeah. You know. So that that was a heavy realization, and and it took me, and I'm still in the process right now. November fourth, yeah. baby. Yeah. Here we come. You yeah. know. Um, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, it it's just it's a heavy realization for sure.
0: So how long has it been since uh, that first record to now?
1: October 2021 is when the
0: record came out and we went so number solid two one. years. Yeah, two years. Yeah. So in that process, I mean, <clears throat> was there a sense of, like, massive pressure to duplicate mm. what you just had? Man. Yeah, I mean, we were going. I was flying all over the country
1: with my radio reps. And kudos to those guys, too, because what people don't see, they, you see the artists doing the thing. You see the social media BS. You see you go to these radio shows and you see these artists doing writer's rounds. What you don't see is the people that are standing backstage that have flown away from their husband, wife, kids,
0: uh,
1: their issues Mm -hmm. and and everything they have going on at home to come out there and take you to introduce you to these people and and hopefully create a good relationship with with these people in the the radio market. There's a lot of uh, going around and doing free shows. And I, I quote free because... You, you have to look at, and I, I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but you have to look at, at people as, as currency in those instances, right? Like, you, you have an opportunity to go out and sit in front of 80 to 1,000 people at a, at a radio show and gain fans. Yeah. So and, and the fans, at the end of the day, are going to be there when when everything else is gone, when radio is not playing you anymore, when – the if you can – if you can build relationships with those people, and you you need to cherish those people, I, I get it. Really frustrates me when I see artists that are just scared to death to do a meet and greet, or won't uh, won't even do a you know walk out and say hello to somebody, or something you know stay hid all day. And yeah. and I understand staying hid sometimes you just you can't be a hundred percent all the time. Yeah, but. I feel like building your building your house on a foundation of sand is dependent on dependent on the industry and the the deals and all of that stuff. And building your house on a foundation of stone is is really putting the time and effort into Preach, fans. Preach, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, that's that's where I've been trying to yeah. focus
0: my energy. Well, that's a perfect segue into my next uh, top of a conversation we will get into. You you mentioned early on when we were sitting here before we started recording that you have a. You were a minister at one point.
1: Yeah, I was uh, an evangelist. Uh, I was. I grew up missionary Baptist, very old timey. Yeah. You know, Southern Baptist,
0: a traditional religion. So as far as you can remember, in the church every Sunday, or yeah, even every more Sunday,
1: every Wednesday night, every third Saturday of the month.
0: Yeah. Um, I did
1: sixty-one nights in a row of of revivals one year. Um, right out of high school, I left uh, when I graduated high school. I went to work for the pastor of my church. Okay. My brother had owned his calling to preach when I was about fifteen. My older brother. And then uh, I started preaching. when I was about eighteen, and did that for a year and a half, two years. Um, I felt very like closed in, like I, I seen the same people all the time, and and heard the same things. And it, was, it came to a point in, in 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 my ministry where I felt like I was just regurgitating stuff i I'd, I'd heard all my life, yeah. but I didn't necessarily believe all of it. Mm-hmm. So that you know. That led me to kind of stepping away from it, and you know, when you step away from, uh, when I stepped away from that, I stepped away from God as well, mm-hmm. which obviously the devil likes to slip in in those moments. So, hey, I was I was definitely a follower of him more than yeah. of God for for quite a while after that. But it even reached the point in my life where I where I felt like well, I tried to convince myself that I was agnostic or atheist for a little while, you know, and but I would still say God bless you, and you know, and. Uh, but that was all like a defense mechanism yeah. against the the fears of what what it does mean to to be faithful and, and live a faithful life. And I I don't want to sit. I'm not going to sit here and be a hypocrite. I cuss like a sailor. Right. I, I like I have a drink from time to time. I smoke from time to time. Uh, you know I am not perfect in any way, form or fashion. But I love people. I I, I want to see people do good. I want to see people be happy. And I feel like, in spite of myself, uh, God blesses me and my family on, on a daily basis. Yeah. Um, I think when it comes down to it, you know, he he knows he knows our heart more than than anything, and uh, he also understands that we're human. He's been here. He's been a human. Yeah. You know, so he understands the trials and tribulations, and he knows that we don't we don't have the full force of God ourselves, especially without him. Yeah. You know, we don't have
0: that full force. To, uh, to withstand all these temptations. Yeah. I mean, talking about not just being a minister or a pastor, um, but doing that at 18 years old. I it's mean, tough. Yeah. I mean, because I feel like, you know, if I'm an elder in the church and I'm listening to this 18 year old preach to me about, <laughs>
1: <laughs> about life
0: and experiences yeah. and trials and tribulations and, and preaching the word, I mean, I mean what kind of response would you get as an eighteen year old I still remember it's the uh Gran Turismo the movie mm-hmm. uh with uh what's his name anyway, but I remember his wife had just passed, and the young priest comes over to bless the family and and he makes a comment about like you know what do you know about loss and heartbreak when you're you know you're just a boy yeah. you know and um I mean did you experience anything like any backlash as far as being such a young minister like I Definitely had a lot of people uh, my age
1: turn on me. I remember one instance and, and me and him were cool now but there was there was this one guy in particular and I, I, I thought I would just pull into the parking lot when I came back home on the weekend and and see some friends and hang out but yeah. I was I was berated with you know preacher boy you know oh, yeah, yeah. and even like wanting to try to fight me for whatever yeah. reason I don't I don't I've never really understood uh, you know I lost my my girlfriend at the time who I'd been with for probably three years that yeah. you know I, I I loved dearly at the time you know and um yeah, there was a lot of like negative uh stuff that came from from people and the world yeah. changing my life in such a way but you know uh I do remember you know it was it was a struggle the whole time man like i, I had I definitely had peaceful moments in my life but um uh, I don't think there's ever I don't think we're that life is supposed to ever be like a constant state in a constant state of bliss. Well, sure, it's impossible. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was a struggle being young and and, and doing that, but I I did try to to put as much effort in it as possible. And I feel like now, you know, I'm not standing behind a pulpit, but I get an opportunity to, I've had such an opportunity to see so much of the world Mm -hmm. and so much culture. And stuff that lives outside of those traditions and knee-jerk reactions to being raised that way and being, you know, brainwashed in the blood, you know. And um, I, re- I remember very young asking my mom, you know, hey, I went to, over here to this church and they don't believe like we do, but it seems like they feel like they're just as right as we feel like we're right. Yeah. So it was always a question I had from a very young age: is like, who's right? And I, none of us had it figured out. Yeah. I just. There's a Toby Keith song. It says, "I'm a man of my convictions. Call me wrong, call me right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I bring my better angels to every fight, or something like." And I remember hearing that line different one day, and be mm-hmm. like, "You know what? I'm gonna start living my life by my convictions. Yeah. And if this makes me feel bad, I'm gonna try not to do it as much. I felt that miserably a sure. lot. But if it makes me feel good, I'm gonna try to do it as much as possible. Yeah." You know? And, uh, but once again, human. So it's 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 trying to find balance, and that's that's going to be a struggle for the
0: rest of mine and your life. I mean, that's just a wild role to have at 18 years old. Mm-hmm. When you really haven't lived life much, you know, yeah. haven't experienced terribly too much, and a lot of pressure. I mean, a lot of peer pressure. Obviously, yeah, it's like, oh, here's the Bible thumper coming into the class. Like, I mean, yeah. it's just like that. Uh, that's yeah. got to be a a, a a tough walk to walk, man.
1: Yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, I, I eventually, obviously, succumbed to to peer pressure sure. and, and and everything, and that's what led to the the drug use and the party and everything for so many years afterward. Um, but it, it's just it. I feel like you got to go through it too, man. And I hadn't had a chance to go through it yet. Yeah, I went straight from. You know, I had my struggles as a kid. I you know, it growing up. How I grew up wasn't easy, and it was my brother and sisters' wreck was very, very difficult to deal with as a young man, and and everything. So I, I'd had some some <clears throat> traumatic things happen, but I hadn't got to go out in the world and and really learn what what life is about, and and see people that didn't grow up in Caneyville, Kentucky, and how they live. And you know, at this point, I've I've met I've met Muslims, I've met Jews, I've met Hindu, I've uh, and I've and I've gotten Pull from so many different things and different people from different walks of life, yeah. and so it's easy now to be like to go back home sometimes and hear people talk, and be like, "But no, I understand that's how you perceive things based on what you see on TV or in the news, but it's just not how it is, yeah. you know." Yeah, and I feel like that those experiences have gave me an an opportunity to uh, I haven't re, re, uh, or denounced or renounced what. Well, my, my position. I would say, and all of that. I just approach it a different way these days. I'm, I'm, I'm as human as I can possibly be, but I have opportunities. You know, I made a promise to God this year that I would sing a hymn every show I play. Really? And uh, so I, I would sing hymns. and We would do like kind of a southern rocked up version of different yeah. hymns. But you were there the other night, and uh, Justin, our, our camera guy, he was there the other night at Whiskey Jam. I just wrote a, a hymn myself. I call. Uh, does heaven have a creek? And it's just a good old boy's hymn, you know, does heaven have a creek where I can swim in my old blue jeans? Can they wash the sins off me that's added up since that revival? Do they drink in Glory Land? Uh, sing and sway with with the angel band. Is that wine as fine and dandy as I've read in the Bible? So it's it's like that seems like much more of a, a humanistic uh, point of view of what heaven could possibly be like versus the, you know, this painted gold street kind of angelic thing that we I I don't even know how to capture what we look at as heaven I I read this book uh, that really helped me with my perception of everything by a guy named Mark Eldridge I believe he wrote um, oh my gosh the book I read is called uh, Beautiful Outlaw Okay, I can't remember the name of the other book that I read by him it's his more famous book but It was a view—we grew up learning about Jesus as um, this cloak-wearing, you know, clean-cut God that came to earth, you know. This was much more a a God that became human and lived amongst this band of haggard, you know, people and had to sleep out in the woods to keep from being seen in the cities and and more of a— you know, a warrior, a, a vagabond, you know, and yeah. just a, a dirtier image of what it was probably more like, yeah. you know, to be Christ and and the disciples back in the day, and that really just helped me, you know, see God as I feel like He might have intended to be seen when He came, and and
0: that was as a, as a human who yeah. had to face the trials and tribulations that we have to face on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you just mentioned, like, you're no longer standing behind a pulpit, but your pulpit now is the stage
1: Yeah, in the audience. Yeah, I get to witness
0: that way. Yeah, you know? you know, and I think it's a beautiful thing to where you can have that perspective and your role's different, but it doesn't mean that it's not an opportunity for you to share your faith, be vulnerable, meet the fans, help change a life, share a story on stage. And it's like for me, and I share this all the time on the podcast, where, you know, in the past recent years, I've really, God has revealed to me that like, hey, the locker room, that's your ministry, man. Like, that's that's where you can be a disciple. That's cool. In some of the darkest places, you know, again, everyone thinks the music biz is glitz and glam. Sports is no different. But there's a lot of darkness and a lot of broken people within our industries. And, you know, if you're a believer, you know, you're called to spread the good news and be a disciple. So I... I feel like it's an honor and such a privilege to be on a team to where I'm one of the old guys, but I'm also, I have the opportunity to open up to somebody that I don't, we have nothing in common other mm-hmm. than football, but one thing can be in common is our faith, yeah. or, and I can share, you know, I can share my experience, I can, we can uh, go through scripture and a Bible study, so that locker room is an opportunity for ministry, the football field is, you know, is a ministry, you know? You can be very surprised by people who want to have the conversation, too. It comes out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, like... From the
0: least likely person.
1: Yes, the the most roughest, toughest. Yeah, absolutely. Haggard, drinker, whatever, yeah. partier. Uh, they they want to have the conversation more often than not, but they feel... I feel like they feel so judged or not. They are hypocritical to, yeah. to have that conversation, and it's like because of whatever the establishment has created this view of what it's supposed to to be to what you're supposed to be to be a Christian um there's this great speech that I believe the governor of Mississippi gave in the 50s about alcohol Mm -hmm. and uh I'll I'll try to send it to you but it it points out all the bad things that alcohol can do but then it points out all the money that it, it filters into the uh the school systems through taxes and how it can can loosen people up to have good conversations and obviously you, just being a drunk is not the way to go yeah. but I've had some of the the greatest conversations with with friends and and just random people at a bar about about God over over a a glass of whiskey or a beer you know when we weren't just getting trashed and yeah. people might disagree with that but yeah. it's my personal experience you know yeah. and I don't feel like when I left there God was like you shouldn't have been drinking with that man and and talking about me. Well, Jesus know? walked among the sinners. Yeah, well, he also in Matthew it talks about, you know, they ask uh, Peter or, or or someone, you know, why does why does your uh, why does your uh, leader hang with these tax collectors and sinners? And I'm paraphrasing here, but he said it isn't the the well who need a physician. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. You know, so and we all
1: need a physician, baby.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, the church is a hospital. Yeah. For the sick, and we're all sick, and we need we need help. And it's just, I mean, I think it's just really cool that you've been able to uh, have your eyes open to the opportunities that you have now. And you've you've gone through a lot, it seems like. And, um, you know, you've you have never, even even though you've drifted, and we've all drifted, we've all wandered. Ooh. You know, I've strayed off the path several times. And, and we'll do that, you know, from time to time, the rest of my life. But that faith seems that you've never lost. Um, I know you mentioned that you were you're more of a friend with the, with the devil than you were with Christ. And we can all relate to that. I mean, we, we dive into things and we get caught up in the, in this worldly thing. And I mean, we live in a, in a society that's just, it can swallow you up and consume you, especially with social media. And, and um, you know, in, in, in your industry too, it's like, you know, it's in what I do as well. It's like, you, you want to fit in, you want to, you want to feel you like the recognition, you like the, you know, you like the likes, the clicks, and the somebody wearing your jersey, and all these things that you feel like give you so much satisfaction. And it just, it's, that's not really what it just gives, gives you, you that.
1: Yeah, it just gives you
0: joy, not happiness. You yeah. Know? And, and it fades fast, yeah. you know? Very,
1: very short shelf
0: life. For sure.
1: Yeah. You know? you know, I mean, I'd love to have a mansion just over the hilltop, but. If if all I got is a, a shack by by the river Jordan, then uh, then I'm still there and not the the, the yes. opposite. So I know, uh, right? and, and obviously we should strive for for more. Uh, but I, I mean, I think you just just try to be get up and go out into the world every day and be good to people. Yeah, do right by yourself, your family, your friends. You're gonna have moments where you fall short, where you. You, uh, you're just not who you'd really like to be, yeah. you know? But that's just part of being human. Don't don't beat yourself up too bad about it. Just, you know, have a personal relationship and try to do better the next day.
0: Yeah. You know? Have you had anybody uh, that's, whether it's in your band or in your crew, that, you know, has uh, just been kind of your steady hand to where, you know, you got some accountability on the road, you got some accountability within your record label or anything like that most of the guys i'm on the road with right now aren't aren't believers
1: yeah. uh but i do have i have one guitar player that he he definitely is is on that side of things with me and uh you know he's 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 got my back sometimes we're having conversations but but i also have great conversations with these guys and uh you know i hope that i hope that you know they'll they'll change their their view i know one guy in particular i i, I played music with you know he grew up very much like i did and and the way that we grew up can be very you grow up thinking that god's a scary monster that lives in the in the you know wood stove at church that is just going to come out and get you and yeah. take you to hell if you don't live right but you know throughout the experiences i've had i've i've learned that he's very uh, patient and and steadfast in, in his in his love for us and and uh, just trying to steer us in the right direction, we it's, just have to be receptive to it.
0: Yeah, that's one of the probably the, one of the biggest misconstrued things about being a believer is being a God fearing man. Like, what does that mean? You know, like fearing fearing the Lord. What does that mean? Like, I got to be constantly, t- you know, walking on eggshells, and it's gonna strike down on me at any time. Yeah. And it's like it's not really that. It's it's what well, you just mentioned. They all come seeing like just the loving, the gracious, the patient, um, gentle. You know lord that we serve you know and it's like uh i think i had that perspective as a kid like yeah if i sin, man yeah
1: you <laughs> am I'm, I'm, I'm gone yeah.
0: i'm a goner you know yeah you know and, and and maybe there is an aspect
1: of that but i just i don't know man i, I feel like fear I, the the original uh translation of the word that we we turn into fear and that's preaching hellfire and brimstone preaching was was meant, meant respect to respect mm-hmm. and yes to fear yes you know so you know, you just need to respect and and understand when when something's on your heart that because you did something that fell short of the glory of God, and instead of you know just continuing to do those things and ignore those feelings, just maybe open up a little bit and let that in and, and try to let it steer you in a different direction next time you're in that. Well, that so, conviction.
0: Yeah. You know, that's Follow, I think that, be a man of your convictions. Yes. You know? Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me in my faith was um, was yeah I, when I when I would do something wrong. Um obviously young and and immature in my in my walk, my faith, like I dove into the same sin over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't until that conviction just slowly started creeping into my heart, my soul, where all right, I don't like the way this feels. I don't like the way I feel about myself. I know it's wrong. And that was when I started to make that one eighty. Um obviously Getting more into the word, being around guys Doing more bible studies, going to church More regularly And that doesn't fix anything, it helps you It's a tool, you know And um, But that conviction, I mean It's really, it becomes heavy You know, when you When you dive back into something you know you shouldn't be doing Whether it's pornography or drinking or sex Or whatever the case may be It's just like, man like It hits you so hard that you just don't even want to do it No more, and yeah, sometimes we do Fall short and go back to it, but Man, that conviction is so real, and it's a good thing. Yeah, it's it's a it, having conviction is a very powerful, positive thing if you utilize it the right way. Yeah, I, I talked to my mom one time when I was frustrated about things, and I was like, you know, I
1: I don't understand this fear thing. You know, why we why we we're so strong about fearing God? And she's like, well, fear is designed to help you not do things that can hurt you. And yeah. I was like, well, what about the guilt? You know? And she's like, well, the guilt. Can keep you from doing it again. And what about the shame, Mom? Well, the shame can keep you from doing it right now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it was something I'll definitely take with me the rest of my life a little bit of wisdom my mama gave me. There you go. Shout uh, out, Mom. There's one guy that anyone can read up on and, and see. I think the most beautiful struggle between human and, and spiritual needs and wants and struggles. Is in the music industry would be Johnny Cash. And I had the opportunity to speak on a documentary about Johnny last year. And it was uh, based on a book by Greg Laurie called An American Icon, I believe. And um, it was all about Johnny Cash's struggle with addiction and his faith. Mm-hmm. And this is a man that was very faithful and, and very well studied in, in uh, Christianity and, and the Bible but also had on again and off again struggles with, with addiction throughout his life. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of these struggles, he would go out with uh, with Billy Graham and do these uh, crusades and, and sing music. And and <clears throat> one time he was like, well, should I, you know, he's very strong in his faith at one point in his life, should, should I stop? I believe he was talking to Billy and should I stop singing these songs like in Prison and stuff? And Billy was like, absolutely not. That's, that's what makes you relatable to these people, yeah. you know? They're, these people that have been to prison or these people that do struggle with addiction or, or whatever, then they know that,
0: hey, that guy's like me. I can be there, too. I can have that relationship, too. So I mean, one of his most famous performances was at Folsom Prison. Yeah. Where he once was. Was he yeah. there? Uh, he. I don't think he went to Folsom. Merle Haggard, I believe, was...
1: Uh, in San Quentin, okay, and when he played there, which got Merle Haggard wanting to be a yeah. musician was cool, but but yeah, I believe that was definitely a form of ministry. Yeah, you know? he was able to go and sing these songs, and it was like even you know, early one morning while making rounds, I took a shot of cocaine, shot my woman <laughs> down. But how many people had been in a similar situation in yeah. those in those hardcore prisons? Yeah, and they're like, This is our guy, but but Johnny would also sing hymns and, yeah. and, and introduce people to. His background in in church and, and his faith through that too. Yeah,
0: I heard through the grapevine that did you just recently perform at a prison?
1: I did. I played uh, Lee Adjustment Center over in Beattyville, Kentucky, okay. not too long ago. Uh, I've I've got a friend over there that's that's serving time. He wasn't able to come see the show, but I was uh I was really thankful for the opportunity to go and sit and. Do you talk about intimidating? Yeah. Coming in a stranger's house for a podcast ain't nothing compared to sitting and front of 65 hardened, you know, criminals that are that are serving hard time for a plethora of, of offenses, you yeah. know. But all I seen was me, man. All I seen looking out there was me. And it was like, there's definitely things I've done that could have put me in that chair, in that brown outfit, you know, compared to where I was sitting. Yeah. And I think we, we forget that too often. And, I, you know, I just want people to, to see that these are humans you know that just made mistakes so too often we, we chalk people off who are drugs and and other things that land you in prison we, we just chalk it off that that's that person's worthless and sure. i do not agree with that at all man yeah. if, if any these guys can build a a freaking sub speaker out of paper yeah. these people can be valuable in our communities yeah. we need we just need to we need to turn the prison system into reform instead of labor and you know just lock them away away from society so we don't have to worry about them disrupting our happy lives anymore it's you know well because the pattern is they get out and they do the same stuff yeah you know unfortunately unfortunately yes and that is the case for a lot of them but there are also a lot of them that that do not want to be back in there yeah so
0: I mean, were you able to interact with any of those inmates? <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, I was told very sternly that I, I couldn't shake hands or anything, which I, I absolutely hated, yeah. not being able to shake people's hands. Yeah. But uh, I got to talk, you know, one-on-one with some of them. And, yeah. and it was cool to, like, see me win some of them over as we went through the songs. and sure. And you could tell, like, there was this grandma's face at the beginning to, uh, that boy, good! Yeah, At yeah, the end, yeah. you know, yeah. I remember this one guy, he, he said, that boy, good! Yeah. And, uh at first when i seen him he
0: he uh, he, he was wants, just looking at me he like he wanted to jump you. yeah like, what is this, yeah, this guy coming in here what is he dude know on my about block? yeah, yeah. <laughs> so right. i i would have to imagine that is incredibly intimidating to yeah. to do that in that setting i would encourage more people to do it though jelly
1: Row just uh, did this big tour like 57 dates or something and and he he posted the other day i don't know how many he went to you know several uh, prison facilities and went to rehab centers and yeah. Uh, homeless shelters and like so that dude's at the forefront and, and doing great things for great people I, I just sent him a pill the other day and I was just like man I just won't let you know I give a crap about the same kind of people you do you yeah know? yeah I, I, he came from a very urban setting yep. within that world but I come from a very rural setting within yeah. that world and know those same characters in the woods that he knows in the hood you know yeah. so um I just want, I would love to see more people going out there to do it. I didn't know that you still could. Yeah. So just know that you can if you want to.
0: Yeah. And I think that goes back to the point you were talking about earlier about maybe your label trying to fit you into a certain box. Um, you know, you mentioned you pitching the album or songs, and they're like, I don't know if it's going to work. I feel like there's like a shift. And you correct me if I'm wrong because, again, I'm not in this world, but fans want to hear stuff they can relate to
1: man we're coming out of hair metal and going into nirvana right now yeah and and i feel like music always does cycles yeah but we're coming out of this really clean bro country face yes and then people like you know zach bryan tyler childers jelly row people who who don't look the the clean cut part and all this stuff and and don't sound the clean cut part and, and people are like, oh, we haven't heard anything like this for a while. Yeah. So it's it's a natural, you know, revolving door of, of styles and, and everything. But, yeah, there's definitely a, an increase in authenticity right now being the the thing to go. And, hey, I've been doing it for a few years, so go freaking listen, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but no, I've, I've always, uh, there's, there's artists who, you know, uh, I think I heard Luke Combs one time say that he doesn't really feel that, that huge urge to be authentic with his music, and I'm not downplaying Luke at all. Luke's a great guy and and, and a a great artist, but he he hears a song and he loves to sing it or likes what the song's about, and he'll sing it. Whereas someone like myself, I'll torture myself and make sure that I relate to this song heavily in some way uh, before I would ever put it out. Um, But obviously, you know... Luke's work and he's probably the, the biggest acting country him between him and Morgan Wallen right now, the two biggest acts sure. in country music. You yeah. Know? But yeah, I just I also I come from, you know, the, the Steve Earls and the uh, the John Fogartys and, and the, the the white stripes and the black keys and 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 all that stuff too. That was just a little more rough around the edges. So that's that's what I like. like
0: Hardy with the song sold out. Man. Oh, dude, you know man, that, that song hey.
1: that song slaps so hard.
0: It does, doesn't it?
1: I, I remember the first time listening to it. We were on the bus, yeah. And uh, I, we turned it on, and we were all just jamming to it.
0: It's a great song. I, I mean, it's like part. if I had a if I was a WWE wrestler, and that'd be my walkout song. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, you know, or going to the batter's box. Yeah, <laughs> dude can
1: scream too.
0: That's yeah, I know. a talent. I know, man. But it's again, it just goes back to the point. It's like these, you know, these artists are now getting on bigger stages, and you know, their music's being streamed like crazy. Now it's hitting the radio, and it's just not. It's the untraditional country, you know. And I don't yeah. even know if it is country, but it's it's being played in, in all markets and and on the, on the country radio. And um, I think it's just it's very refreshing to. To see. Yeah, one thing I would say like Luke
1: and Zach have in common is like they they're just being them. Yeah. So that's why you, you hear a Luke song and you know it's a Luke song. You hear yeah. a Zach Bryan song, you know it's a Zach Bryan song. They're they're polar opposites stylistically. Mm-hmm. But like I think too often we can get caught up in this. Hey, I need to listen to what the 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 powers that be are telling me to do because that's the way to su- success. No, the way too, I I I feel successful right now. I don't I don't have all the money in the world. I, I don't have multiple hits but i feel successful in, in the aspect of just like i'm doing what i what is real to me and yeah I w- i'm much happier now than i would be if i was trying to chase after something just because i thought it was you know a hit you know so i would you know i just i would encourage artists or, or welders or carpenters or anybody just do things the way that you see they should be done you know sure. and,
0: and create create your own path yeah, yeah I just uh I joined my first uh, music row ministry Bible session mm-hmm. last week I don't know if you're familiar with it but um, it's Jordan Row, I believe uh kind of facilitates it mm-hmm. I got invited to go it's every Wednesday at nine you should come if you can, you're gonna be out of time. But it's see a Bible study. Yeah, it's on Wednesdays. It's on Wednesdays at nine. I'll come. Yeah. It's at nine o'clock at night or in the morning. Nine in the morning. Nine in the morning. Okay, yeah, I'll it's get by, up early. Uh, by the uh, by the Sony <laughs> Sony building. I'll shoot I'll shoot you over. Yeah, just shoot the, me and uh, take over. I'll come over. I'll bring but it. It was like problem. an open invite. Came over. It's like fifty dudes in the room, all in the music industry. It was just really really cool. And uh, one artist, you know, through the scripture we were studying at the time, he was just talking about. You know, it's really, a you know, whenever I go home and I always get the common comment from a friend or a family member or whatever. And like they always say, man, I really I really hope you make it, you know. Yeah. And he was just thinking like, man, I have, No, I don't have the platinum records. I don't have the number ones, but I'm doing what I'm loving. And this goes back to what you're just saying, like, you're in Nashville, you're writing songs. You're making music you're on a tour whether it's a small tour or whatever it is like you're still doing it so for like the common fan or the common supporter or the family member like their their vision and perspective of su- success is the morgan wallen you got to be selling out yeah nissan stadium yeah whereas hey me playing on broadway for tips i'm doing what i love yeah you know what i'm saying so like it was just a really cool thing to hear because Again, I think a common theme within that Bible study is just the you know the constant chase, how draining it is, how discouraging it is. Um, it's hard to remember that. You know, you know, I, I just rem-
1: I had to remind myself the other night. You know, when I was frustrated about some stuff, I was like, you know, at the end of the day, I just love to sing. Yeah, I used to get in trouble in school for singing in yeah. class. Yeah, at the end of the day, I just love to sing. So yeah. just. Now I'm like always trying to remind myself, you know. Or recently, since I I reminded myself of that, I'm trying to remind myself. That's why I'm doing this. I love to sing. I love to tell stories. So once again, whether you're a football player, a welder, a carpenter, a, a hairstylist, whatever you do, like remind yourself as often as you can why you got there. Yeah. What made you want to do that? Yeah. And just hang on to that, regardless sure. of the the income or whatever. Obviously, we got to pay our bills and we got to eat, but. You know, do what you do what you can and what you got to do to to make that possible. But but every opportunity you get to lean into what you love
0: about it, do that as much as possible. Absolutely, and I and I envy you guys to an extent because of the fact that like football is my love, my passion, my dream, and I've lived it, I've done it, and um, I envy the fact that I can't do that for the rest of my life. You guys can sit down and write songs until the day you die. (laughs) You could pick a you could pick up a guitar and play. You can sing. Like that's a that's an incredible gift they have for a lifetime. It's like golf. Like you, you guys in their seventies and eighties are yeah. out there playing it. Yeah. you know, it's like, dude, like it's like it's like fishing. There's no no bad yeah. day fishing, you know what I'm saying? Whether you catch them or not, you're still doing what you love. And I so I, I envy that aspect of the the talent that you guys have is literally you could do it for the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, but you
1: can you can also pass along the knowledge. Well, sure, it's, it's not necessarily the same and, thing because yeah. I'm not,
0: like,
1: strapped on the pads for, yeah. or I
0: don't got the cleats on. Yeah. I, I'm going to try. Yeah. You know? I, you do I, as long as you can. I'll be out there at 50, like, running some routes or something or snapping a ball. But uh, Man, you guys are wild. Hey. I mean, I, dude, when I thought
1: I wanted to play football in high school. Yeah. When I got to college and I seen the guys on the football team, yeah. my little – 138 pounds soaking wet, yeah. You know, yeah I'm like, yeah, I'm like, golly, dude. I'm just glad on, that, on
0: I'm glad that was not my voice, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, as we wrap this up, I want to talk about your tattoos, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I think it's just a cool Um, you know, I, I only have one tattoo, it's a cross, that's a good one. And uh, you know, I got this right before my wife and I got married, but uh, it was, I decided to get it here on my wrist. You know, if I shake a hand, somebody will see it, yeah, maybe it. Maybe, brings up conversation or it yeah. brings up curiosity and so I think it's cool. But like I've always admired tattoos and for you you got a bunch on your arm. You I'm know. I'm pretty well covered. My mom don't like it. But yeah. Uh, but you can know. you can you share some of the story behind uh maybe some of the ones that are maybe the most meaningful to you?
1: Yeah, there's definitely uh I've got I've got another woman's name tattooed on my chest, Lucy, but uh there <laughs> it's an it's an inside thing, you know, so that one's pretty special to me. Yeah. Um it's if you'll see on my first record that on the back it says "I love you, Lucy" or "Thank you, Lucy, you saved my life." Okay. Um, and nobody really has to know exactly what that's about, but I do. Yeah. So I, I love that one. Does I your mean, wife know who Lucy is? Yeah, she, she knows yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and she and she loves it too. Um, you know, this is kind of comical. Well, you you uh, just got
0: this one what a few days ago. Yeah,
1: and it got infected on me. The first one I've ever had any trouble with, and it's a it's a little cheeky devil. So it's like, uh, okay, I get it. Yeah. sorry you know yeah, yeah. but it's there it's there uh it's it's being a devil to heal you know but this one um it's probably my favorite man it's um it's the it's the sinner who waited too long you know yeah it says believer above it but um i originally I, I was gonna tattoo don't wait up here yeah. you know but it just this is kind of of a reminder to me it's a very stark you know uh tattoo and it's, it's it's loud and it's heavy but it's a reminder to me of where i come from and and the values that were instilled in me in that hellfire and brimstone raising you know that I, I think i took a lot of good from that yeah. i don't agree with all of it but there's definitely parts of it that that helped me maintain uh just being a good person yeah, you know? yeah um yeah i got i got jesus on my hand here okay you know got, lamb on there yeah yeah I, I didn't think this one through. It's supposed to be live fast, walk slow. Okay. And walk slow is just you know, means take it in. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But everybody just thinks it's fast, slow. So if music don't work out, I can direct traffic like, you know, <laughs> yeah. got this, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't know why I, I love them so much, but I'm addicted. Hillbilly, that's my dad's handwriting. Is it really? Yeah. Ain't 2009 no more. I was talking about Mac you Miller.
0: The, you got the mama, mama yeah, tattoo?
1: Yeah, mama tried.
0: Mama tried. We did know. Mama,
1: and then I was like, put tried down there, because she really did.
0: Yeah. Where's the Mac Miller tribute at? Uh,
1: it ain't 2009 no more. So 2009 was, was a pretty hard year in my life, and uh, it's probably the lowest point. And he's got this song called 2009, and, and every time I hear it, I'm just like, man, you're right. It ain't 2009 no more. Yeah. You know,
0: so. So they all, they all have meaning.
1: They're
0: not just Some ra- of them. Yeah.
1: This was just, uh, I'm walking by a tattoo parlor and got a tattoo. I've got a couple of
0: those on my legs, too. You know, Just but, felt like it inked up.
1: Yeah, I do generally think about think about them for quite a while before I get them. Okay. But yeah, there's different stuff. I kind of this dirtbag one. I don't know. It's kind of like I come from is come from a little bit rougher uh, yeah, rougher yeah. upbringing, rougher past. But I but I I wear it on my sleeve, you know, and it's and I'm proud of where I come from.
0: That's cool, so. man. That's awesome, man. So what's next for you? Obviously you obviously have the album coming out November fourth.
1: Yeah, come out. Uh, well, it's not coming out. We turn it in November fourth. Oh, it It'll come out in the springtime. Okay, I- I'm very proud of it, man. Um, What's the title of that album? Damascus.
0: That's Damascus. right. Yeah, Damascus.
1: Uh, Damascus uh, there's, I think, there's something for everybody on there. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of rock, country, hip hop influence, folky influence, gospel influence. Um, it's very, it's, it's a lot heavier yeah. than my first record was. More but. vulnerable. Definitely more vulnerable. Yeah. Definitely more vulnerable. And, and, you know, I feel like there's this whole thing about outlaw country and outlaw is supposed to sound rough and tough, but, but I man. Like I, Brantley Gilbert? Yeah, man. I, and Brantley. <laughs> a note on Brantley real quick. I've seen that dude do this to an industry, to someone fairly high up in the industry uh, here a while back because... Brantley was sitting talking to a homeless man on a bench, really? and this guy tried to come over and talk to Brantley. And Brantley wasn't like being being rude about it, but he yeah. was like, "Hang on a minute, man, Just give him know, my time." To this guy, so yeah, and he really. So I was like, "Man, that's
0: awesome!" I tell you what, yeah. when I saw him open for, gosh, maybe it was Tim McGraw, two thousand fourteen ish or so, and he came out swinging his uh, microphone. He had the microphone on he the knows. the brass knuckles. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I got chills, man. I'm like, this dude, and I I vibed with him ever since yeah. then. Like, when he had that first couple albums, I'm like, dude. And I met him, I got to go to the ACMs one year in Vegas and do music uh, Radio Row, and I got to meet him there. I'm like, this dude is cool, man. And I, at the time, that was, like, he was, you know, the outsider. You know, because yeah. it was all bro country. It was yeah. all... But he still persisted through all that. No, he is, and he hasn't really strayed yeah. from... That persona. I was
1: on a cruise with two of his high school teachers, and 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 I can I can definitely vouch for that dude. That dude's a real deal. Yeah, he's, he's he tough really dude. does ride bikes. And he's <laughs> he's a tough dude, man. So, oh man. Hey Brantley, have me out on tour with you, bro. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> Let's
0: get it. But yeah, I appreciate you, man. And uh, you're going to LA this week. What do you got going on out there?
1: Going out to play a show with um, with my buddy Cameron Marlow. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, love Cameron. Great voice, great songs. Good dude. Yeah. Uh, met him last year. We had a show. It was supposed to be outside. But it rained, and uh, they were like, "We're gonna cancel the show." And I looked at Cameron. and I was like, "Well, there's a bar right here on the property. It's not raining in there." And he's like, "Sure I ain't." So you know, we went over there. So I was like, "That, that, I
0: knew Cameron was good, dude." Then you know, that's uh, I'll give you uh, talking about hip hop. So I, I grew up a big Juvenile fan, mm-hmm. and uh, I was out off the mumbrian one night doing things I shouldn't be doing, drinking too much. But uh, he was performing at Tin Roof, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh, dude, I gotta see Juvenile." When back that thing came up yeah. out in like 2000.
1: <laughs> I was there, man. In and and Cisco, and yeah, and oh, I was man. in high
0: school. Like that song was a banger, and uh, I was like, I got to see this dude. Well, it was raining outside, and they had all the they had the stage all set up outside, you know. Well, they were gonna cancel it, and he was the same thing. He's so, like, No, let's just go into the the bar. Yeah. So he performed, and I was oh, front was... row. I was always was Snapchatting the whole thing, and like it brought me back to freshman year in high school. Where I'm at a I'm at a dance and all the senior girls were doing that thing on the dance floor and I was intimidated as all heck and I'm like bro like juvenile like that remember, that album was oh, a banger bro. I remember man I was in middle
1: school when that came out but I, man that was a uh, that was an interesting few years dun, in, in MTV
0: and hip hop and do don't oh when that oh my yeah. gosh bro it just brings me back
1: and man. Dre forgot about Dre oh all my, came out yeah, all that yeah, stuff I came out at that
0: like, time and Eminem oh my god it just was like you because we're Relatively the same age. And so that genre of like hip hop and rap was like. It was just fun, man. Dude, and 50 Cent came out. And like, I just, I, I still listen to all that stuff to this day. Yeah, I was, I was still blasted every now and then myself oh, on
1: the road for yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I usually go back to Eminem more than more than anything. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I love, there's the much, there's much harder rap that I've, I've kind of got into as well. Just like, like I was talking about earlier with Tupac. But Nipsey Hussle, man, I just got into him recently. That guy, he says in one song, he was too, He's Tupac. His generation, R.I.P. The guy was was brilliant, and there was a lot of love. There was a lot of contrast in him and Tupac. There's a lot of love, but there's
0: there's a lot of there's a lot of hate too. Oh know? yeah. So. Well, my mom didn't appreciate me listening to Tupac's Machiavelli back in like 1997 when that album <laughs> came out. So no, I would imagine not. I would imagine not. Well, I appreciate you, brother, man. God bless you on the road you and in the endeavors coming up, and excited for you and got yourself a new fan. Thank and you, uh, I, I just appreciate it. you coming in and sharing your story and opening up a little bit and sharing your faith. And you know, my prayer for you, man, just continue to be a shining light in your industry. And uh, when you're on stage, you know, just use that as your pulpit, man. And and uh, hopefully, we get to hang out more. And and uh, come well, see I got to come and, and see you one Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. Sounds like yeah, it, man. Well, I I don't know if I have the authority now because I'm, I'm just a rookie in that game to throw out the invite but I heard it was an open invite so I'm throwing you the invite well if they're
1: trying to keep people from coming to learn no, about I know, God, no, I, I will be know. there
0: anyway no yeah, it, yeah. but it, it's, uh, it's a great uh, gathering uh, great fellowship Wednesday morning 9am right off Music Row um, and I think it's it's special man so I'm excited to go tomorrow morning but yeah whenever you're back in town man let's, let's make it happen awesome buddy thank you alright brother appreciate you Elvis Shane take care thank you bro